This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will be another adapted OrthoBullets core webinar from the OrthoBullets core curriculum, and this one will cover the topics of lateral and medial epicondylitis from the shoulder and elbow section. The topics will be reviewed by Dr. Christopher Ahmad, who is the Chief of Sports Medicine and Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at Columbia University Medical Center, as well as the head team physician for the New York Yankees. Here's the lateral epicondylitis in general as an introduction. It is an overuse injury. It is related to eccentric loading, and it's called tennis elbow because of the gripping characteristics of playing tennis. It's most common to be in the dominant hand, and in fact, up to 50% of tennis players will develop lateral epicondylitis. That repetitive motion, especially with supination with the elbow and extension, is what puts the highest amount of stress on this aspect of the attendant attachment to the epicondyle. It usually begins as micro-tearing and then becomes that dysplastic, tendinotic type tissue. And the characteristic microscopic findings of lateral epicondylitis. This question always comes up. The histology is angiofibroblastic dysplasia. The reason why they love this question is because it's not truly inflammation. It's this characteristic fibroblastic response with the dysplasia. I've seen this question myself many, many times. A lateral epicondylitis can be associated with other aspects of lateral elbow pain. In fact, radial tunnel syndrome is present in 5% of these patients. So radial tunnel is a favorite question because if somebody's being treated for lateral epicondylitis and not getting better, it may be because of radial tunnel syndrome. Here's another question. Which of the following structures shares the same origin site as the tendon that undergoes angiofibroblastic hyperplasia during the pathogenesis of tennis elbow? So we have a number of muscles listed here, and we're going to certainly pick a muscle that attaches to the lateral epicondyle. We have the brachioradialis just above the epicondyle, onconius right there, annular ligament that's attaching around the radial neck, Flexor carpial narus, that's on the inside of the elbow, and palmaris longus, that's on the medial inside part of the elbow. So clearly we can get this question right. It's the onconeus. So something to keep in mind is anatomy. Anatomy is going to be critically important as you review for, these, uh, for the exam. And so here is the anatomy. The common extensor origin includes those muscles that originate from the lateral supracondylar ridge, that's the extensor carpi radialis longus, and then muscles that originate on the lateral epicondyle itself include the extensor carpi radial, radialis brevis, ECRB. This is the important muscle for lateral epicondylitis. And the onconeus shares the same attachment site as the ECRB. And as you know, there's ligaments in this area, and we're going to see questions about that because this lateral collateral ligament is right in proximity to the extensor muscle mass. The muscles that are attached to the epicondyle, their function is to help with wrist extension, and that's involved with gripping activities. So repetitive gripping forces your wrist into extension, and that will cause the symptoms of decreased grip strength, pain with gripping activities, and even pain with wrist extension. The presentation is very characteristic. On physical exam, palpation reveals point tenderness over the ECRB insertion, just at the distal part of the epicondyle, just off of the epicondyle. 
There may be decreased grip strength as part of your neuromuscular exam. And then the provocative test that works beautifully is having the patient resist wrist extension with the elbow fully extended. This almost always elicits pain in patients with lateral epicondylitis. And so the diagnosis is primarily based on symptoms and physical exam. This is a very key point. The diagnosis is primarily based on symptoms and physical exam. To say it a different way, you do not need an MRI scan for the diagnosis. But of course, we do get imaging in certain situations, and radiographs, including the AP and lateral of the elbow, are usually normal. There may be some calcifications if it's chronic uh, epicondylitis over a long period of time. And in those situations where you do get an MRI scan, there is increased signal intensity at the ECRB tendon, that change in signal right at the attachment to the epicondyle. But again, the MRI scan is not essential for the diagnosis. The histology, again, shows that fibroblastic hypertrophy with vascular hyperplasia. This is a favorite test question because it's not tendonitis. So the diagnosis, again, primarily based on symptoms and physical exam. And here the treatment is non-operative. The treatment is always initially non-operative. It's going to be a favorite test question. First-line treatment, non-operative. And that's activity modification, IACE, anti-inflammatory medication, physical therapy, use of ultrasound. There is a role for steroid injections, cortisone injections, counterforce bracing, and activity modification. People who know why they're getting it from either playing tennis or some people in my practice, it's often carrying a heavy briefcase that's a change in what they were used to doing that starts this whole process. And the outcomes are very good with non-operative treatment. So remember, non-operative treatment works and is very successful and is the first line of treatment. Here is a study. This study is controversial. It's a study published in JAMA. That's how popular this study is. It's published uh, for all types of readership, not just orthopedics. And it studies the effect of uh, cortisone. And what it says amongst patients with chronic unilateral lateral epicondylitis, the use of cortisone injection versus placebo resulted in a worse clinical outcome. So I highlight this because lateral epicondylitis is very common and there's going to be controversial topics related to treatment. Most of the questions are going to be don't operate on it initially. If you do need treatment and in the form of surgery, that treatment is release and debridement of the ECRB origin. That's where that bad tissue is. They indicate in the test-taking world that it should be a failure of prolonged treatment up to 9 to 12 months. If you do a release of this tendon, it can be done arthroscopically. Arthroscopically, you can get right to the tendon attachment, and you can also do it open, and you could do percutaneously. And some people would argue that you should do a radial tunnel release in combination certainly if there's symptoms, but because it coexists, remember, radial tunnel coexists, it's a favorite test question, some surgeons would elect to do it in combination with an ECRB release. Here is a favorite test-taking topic, and that is, if we treat this surgically and have a problem, let's make sure we recognize the problem, and even better, let's never make that problem happen, and that is, Excessive resection of the ECRB can injure the lateral ulnar collateral ligament. And so that's an iatrogenic injury. Favorite question. 
Missed radial nerve entrapment syndrome, we spoke about already. That's a favorite question. And iatrogenic neurovascular injury, we're going to get into that, especially with the arthroscopic techniques to treat this because the complication of arthroscopy can include nerve injury. Let's move on to golfer's elbow. Now, lateral epicondylitis is very common, and if you understand lateral epicondylitis, you will definitely understand golfer's elbow. It's extremely similar. It's a different muscle group. It's the same type of principle of etiology. Which of the following provocative tests would most likely be positive in a patient with medial epicondylitis? Resisted forearm pronation and wrist flexion with a clenched fist? Sounds very good because it's the opposite side of the elbow with the muscle group involved with pronation and wrist flexion. Resisted forearm supination and wrist extension? Well, wrist extension is the extensor muscles on the lateral epicondyle. Dynamic valgus stress test, that's for a ulnar collateral ligament tear, milking maneuvers, ulnar collateral ligament injury, and the pinch grip test not consistent with the forearm muscles on the medial epicondyle. So we got this right, 85%. So resisted forearm pronation and flexion of a cleft wrist. So it's overuse of that flexor pronator mass. It's less common than lateral epicondylitis. It's most commonly the dominant arm. Makes sense. It's going to be your dominant arm. Here's the risk. Anything that's repetitive, that is the key concept. These are repetitive, call them overuse activities. And so the golfer is subject to it. People who do things like play racket sports, even play tennis, certain aspects of work such as uh, manual labor could be involved. Jobs involving lifting forceful grip as an example. The pathophysiology, I will go through this uh, and essentially say it is the same as lateral epicondylitis, repetitive forceful activities, repetitive activities called micro tears. The micro tears don't heal properly and you get fibrous tissue that develops. Here's the important associated conditions. Just like the lateral side, we will see associated conditions on the medial side. And on the medial side, we have the ulnar nerve, so you can have ulnar neuropathy. We have the ulnar collateral ligament, so you can have ulnar collateral ligament injuries, especially in the throwing athlete. And so associated conditions occur commonly. And really, this is a test of anatomy. If you understand the medial aspect of the elbow anatomy, you know that the local anatomy can also be involved with some pathology. Common flexor tendon is a few centimeters long. It attaches onto the medial epicondyle. It runs parallel to the MCL, so it's very well uh, in close anatomic proximity to the MCL. And the ulnar head of the pronator teres becomes confluent with the hyperplastic part of the anterior medial capsule. So in some areas, the flexor mass is intimate or attached with the capsule, therefore injuries occur in combination together. And the flexor pronator mass, I pay a lot of attention to the palmaris longus because not every patient has that. And the palmaris longus we use for grafts. The flexor culpial narus we'll hear about, that's very important to creating valgus stability dynamically. Important muscles to know. Here's the presentation. It can include acute traumatic blow causing an avulsion. This is not classic epicondylitis. It's in the genre of the medial forearm muscles. We could call it a flexor pronator injury, a flexor pronator strain, or a flexor pronator avulsion, but it has a very similar examination that there's tenderness, exactly as medial epicondylitis, just 
distal and anterior to the medial epicondyle. There can be soft tissue swelling. And there is classic resisted pain with forearm pronation and resisted flexion. In fact, I like that they asked this as a question because this is my go-to exam in the office. This isn't just for testing. This is what I do in the office on a very regular basis. So associated conditions are important to examine for. Valgus instability, we're going to talk more about that in the overhead athlete. The go-to exam for that is a valgus stress test. A moving valgus stress test is the most sensitive and specific. That's going to be a test question potentially. Ulnar neuritis, there's ways to examine for that. And the elbow flexion test that we'll see in the next few slides can also be consistent with a clinical diagnosis of ulnar neuritis. X-rays, usually unremarkable, just like the lateral side may have calcification. Ultrasound can be used lateral side and medial side. They can have hypoechoic areas. And so ultrasound is getting more popular. It's worth knowing. I use ultrasound in the office as an example, and I look for uh, signal changes both on the medial and lateral side of the elbow. And here's the MRI scan, not necessary for the diagnosis, but can help exclude, especially in a high-level athlete, other injuries such as a UCL tear. Non-operative treatment, of course, is the first-line treatment. If you know that for the lateral side, you know it for the medial side. There are some similar treatment strategies with bracing, cortisone injections. You have to be very careful, though. Cortisone injections in this area, there's nerves that need to be considered and should be done in a very safe fashion. So the complications of a cortisone injection include skin depigmentation and also subcutaneous atrophy. If you have not seen this, it's very dramatic, especially in a young, thin patient, such as a young female. The thinning in the skin pigmentation can be very concerning to them. It can also cause tendon weakening and the ulnar nerve, especially if it's subluxing, if it's not located in the cubital tunnel, can be injured by an injection. I have seen this complication myself. So it does happen. The treatment here is debridement after failure of non-operative treatment, but open. Medial epicondylitis, when it needs surgery, is treated open. The lateral side can be treated with arthroscopy. It's an important distinction between medial and lateral. And the reason is because the nerve anatomy on the medial side of the elbow does not lend itself to doing arthroscopic techniques. It's just too high risk and your ability to get to the pathology is not the same as on the lateral side with arthroscopic instruments. So you open up the flexor mass, create a healing response on the bone, and then you repair the flexor mass and you debride all of that tendonotic tissue, that fibroblastic tissue. And if necessary, you can perform a cubital tunnel release or transposition, just like the lateral side. You can take care of any neuritis or neuropathy associated conditions. So rehabilitation is uh, standard. It's regain motion and strength while protecting the repair. The complications. Complications are favorite test questions. Medial antibrachial cutaneous nerve neuropathy. So the cutaneous nerves can be cut and afterwards they can get a neuropathy from that. It's uh, very helpful to protect those nerves during surgery to the medial aspect of the elbow. That's all for this review on lateral and medial epicondylitis. If you would like access to the full video version of these core webinars, sign up for the OrthoBullets core curriculum today. There will be a link in the show notes for anyone who is interested. 
Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.